We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. You know, there really isn't all that much inflation out there. Perhaps you've noticed this. And if you've noticed it, you're probably not too worried about it. If you're an average consumer out there, you want better prices, uh, low inflation is pretty good for you. Hey, you know who else is not particularly concerned about the uh, rate of low inflation? The Federal Reserve. Welcome to Money Beat. I am Paul Vigna. I'm Stephen Grosser. And that is a very interesting point you made. Isn't it? It is an interesting yeah. point. Yeah. The Fed at its last meeting really seemed to be, we don't know what's going on. Inflation's a mystery, but we're still going to raise and, rates. And we're really, we don't really care about it. Not too much. And that might be simplifying, actually, what the Fed it's said totally a little bit too much. It's totally simplifying it. But, I mean, that's really you know what a lot of people kind of took a lot of people by uh, off guard. Yeah. And to uh, unsimplify it and to give you guys a full podcast, uh, we are joined in the studio today by the newest member of the Money Bee team, Chelsea Delaney. Chelsea, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And you've been on the podcast before. We've, we've had have. you on, but you're always a markets reporter. Now you've moved over to the blog. Yes, yes. How's Very the first week gone? to be writing more about inflation and right. Janet Yellen, the inf- great inflation mystery. Yeah, your uh, new editor is an ogre, but apart from that, it's, it's pretty <laughs> good. You'll be okay. That's my job. I think it's part of actually the description. It is. Yeah. And also joining us in the studio, Bob Miller is BlackRock's head of the U.S. multi-sector fixed income team, and he is a portfolio manager on, on a couple of the portfolios, a couple of the funds you guys have there. Bob, welcome. Nice to have you in the studio. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, I understand that you are really quite quite the jet setter. You got your bags with you. <laughs> what are you, you're in from the coast right now, and then you're going right back out? Living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It kind of is living the dream. It's the unfortunate part of being <laughs> in the role that we're in. Yeah. So, Bob, I'm just going to uh, start, you know, let, let you kind of start off here. So we got the minutes of the September meeting. We know what the Fed is thinking uh, about inflation. We know that they're a little bit perplexed by why inflation still, after all these years and all this stimulus, refuses to get higher. But they're not concerned about that. Well, I think they're concerned. Um, and their their concern is largely motivated by um, the fact that inflation expectations in a variety of different survey data have come down over time. Now, mm-hmm. our, our take on that, what we think is relevant is that inflation expectations, whether it's the Michigan survey, the conference board survey, et cetera, or some of the Fed's own um, private surveys, have um, moderated over the course of the past 10 years. But, but they've moderated from levels that were unsustainably high. Right? Inflation expectations were 3 to 4% for a very long time coming out of the 70s and 80s, and it took a long time for the average household inflation expectation to migrate lower to actual trend-like inflation. So I think the important part is, or the, the, the relevant part for investors is, is that inflation expectations have come down, but they're sitting largely on top of the 20-year trend rate, run rate of inflation. So I don't, we don't view that as, as a negative or something to be overly concerned about with respect to the economy. What did you glean from uh, yesterday's Fed minutes? You had it sort of supported, I think, a lot in, in a large degree the takeaway, which was the Fed seems very determined to, or somewhat determined to raise rates. You had a, a majority of people um, sort of on board with that, but inflation still is the mystery and the puzzle, and the Fed seemed to be split 
on that, like whether it was, this is a transitory short-term a blip that's keeping it below 2% or this is a longer-term issue? So a couple of things. One, it's, I think it's really important to keep in mind that the, the reaction function of the Fed seems to have changed in the last year. They've gone from being super sensitive, data-dependent about the most recent relevant economic release moving their reaction function with respect to policy adjustment to now, over the course of the last year, having become very forecast-based. So I think that's an important lens through which to think about how they're reacting to the surprisingly uh, low level of inflation over the past six months relative to what was closer to trend inflation in late 15, um, excuse me, late 16, and, and we expect will be trend inflation throughout much of 2018. So the, the Fed has become less sensitive to the most recent piece of information, more sensitive to their forecast, and their forecast suggests that we're at full employment, the capacity utilization is, is high, the output gap is closed, and monetary policy remains highly accommodative relative to that construct. So therefore, they're going to continue. We expect them to continue to gradually normalize monetary policy over the course of time, all subject to, really quickly, what the next leadership group of the Fed looks like in six months' time. Mm -hmm. And we don't yet know much about that. Yeah, we might have to talk about that uh, in a sec. For a second. Why do, I mean, why do you think the Fed has shifted to being less responsive to the data? I think it's because the, they recognize that the, at 4.4% unemployment, especially with the decline in the other employment indicators, the underemployment indicators, um, suggests that much of the slack in the labor market has disappeared. Right? The job openings rate in the, in the JOLTS data continues to print above 6 million job openings. There's sufficient demand for labor in the corporate sector that, that we're – we would argue, and the Fed is in agreement, that we're largely at full employment. So at full employment, your reaction function becomes different, right? Your, the Fed's target is full, um, mandate is full employment and stable inflation. They've chosen to interpret stable inflation as a 2% core PCE rate. Arguably, inflation's been very stable for the last couple of decades, despite numerous economic um, periods of volatility in there. Um, during that time period. Inflation's been very stable. It's still stable. It's slightly below their target, but it doesn't strike us as sufficiently below to become overly concerned about it. Are we brings, oh, sorry. Oh. Go ahead, Chelsea. I was going to say that brings up a good point that a lot of people talk about these days in, in regards to the 2% target. I mean, does it make sense to continue targeting 2%? Does it make sense to continue having that was exactly this target. <laughs> so here's, here's the interesting thing about the target. The, the average annual core inflation in the last 20 years, 1.7%. So aggregate level, they've missed the, 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 the economy has produced 30 basis points less inflation on an annual basis for two decades. But if you decompose the aggregate inflation indicators into services and goods, core services, which is 75% of the basket, represents that portion of the price basket that is most sensitive to domestic economic factors has been running above 2% for that two-decade period. It's averaged between 2.1 and 2.2. So, so arguably, the economy is producing target inflation on 75% of the basket of goods. The core goods piece, which is 25% of the basket, has been running at negative 50 basis points average for the last 20 years. So it's goods deflation has been with us for two decades. And I think it's really important to keep that, that in context of where we are today. 
services inflation is still slightly above two, and core goods inflation is closer to negative one at the moment. We expect that that, those trends will continue, so it's tough to look just at the aggregate level number and not decompose it. And when you decompose it, it strikes us that we're closer to balance than some of the rhetoric would suggest. Just sort of put Chelsea's question another way. Are people in the market, journalists like us, are we making too much of this 2% target? Are we too focused on that? I think the Fed's been too focused on okay. it. So to the degree that the the um, media, um, investment media, you know, investment-related publications, et cetera, are focused on what the Fed is suggesting, then, then by definition, we've probably all been too focused on it. I don't think it's a problem in the U.S. It's a different story outside the U.S. where you have some higher, less sustainable debt loads in a number of countries with even lower potential GDP than we have here. But the U.S. economy remains the most dynamic economy in the world, despite the frustrations around the relatively low growth rates compared to historical observations. Grocery, you, you never give some outsider a chance to take a shot at the media. Well, what kind of question was that? What are you doing? <laughs> Good Lord. I know we're trying to get to the, the truth of the matter here, but <laughs> Grocer, whew. Uh, all right, let's take a break. We are talking to BlackRock's Bob Miller about the economy and inflation. You are listening to Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio with Chelsea Delaney and Bob Miller, BlackRock Portfolio Manager, talking about the Federal Reserve, inflation, the economy. And Bob, you had talked before about some long-term inflation trends and that they were – basically, inflation has been running lower for about two decades than than people have sort of been expecting. And I started wondering while you were saying that – if that is the case and the reality is actually different from what everyone has been projecting and expecting for that long, uh, what are the chances that there have been some mis- miscalculations made in some some of the things that have been done, say, at the Federal Reserve? I mean, if they've been talking about 2% inflation and they've been angling for it and trying to stimulate the economy to bring about, but we have been that low for that, have they – gone too far with the stimulus? I mean, can you make that argument? I know we can't know until we know, but I mean... You can definitely make a case that we may be in... So that's the wrong way to say it. We we very well may be in the third episode of Fed policy staying too easy for too long in the last Mm -hmm. 25 years, right? The late 90s, early 2000s, um, 04 to 07 period, both of which did not cause the subsequent financial market volatility and uncertainty, but certainly we would argue contributed to it. And this time around, Fed policy, monetary policy has been maintained at extraordinarily accommodative levels. We thought the Fed could have been moving rates slowly but surely higher um, a year before they started. Um, So we were wrong a bit about the timing. Um, That said, the the thing that the the relevant piece of the inflation discussion that we think is underappreciated in the mainstream is the degree to which Inflation is low due to positive supply shocks. Right? So innovation, yeah, explain technology, what that term means. Um, the the um, 
the ability to consume more goods and services for the same amount of money or less money. Right? So think about the, the first surprise to core inflation in March of this year was the dramatic decline in wireless services costs, mm-hmm. which was a function of the large wireless services companies delivering clients or customers more data for less money. And that has a, has a negative impact on prices for a one-year period until it works its way out of the data. But, right? but a positive impact on the supply and your ability to... Precisely. It improves the ha- real household purchasing, purchasing power. Right. So, and, and we would argue that a number of the so-called surprises over this year and over the past several years have been due to these more... what would fall into the basket of a positive supply shock. Bill Dudley, the president of the New York Fed, has recently commented on this and, and acknowledged that, in his view... In their analysis, they too believe that this is a good thing for the U.S. household. This is not the type of inflation or, or low inflation, decelerating inflation that's due to a demand shock. Mm-hmm. This is good price decline. You know, Dudley, do you remember the story of him uh, going to Queens and making that argument about the, the iPad and getting just just destroyed by the crowd? <laughs> do you remember this story? Yeah. But uh, getting back to you, I think. Oh, wait, I can't tell that story. It's a great story. <laughs> okay, tell the story. So, 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 so Bill Dudley, uh, president of the New York Fed, Federal Reserve Bank of New York, uh, he goes to Queens for a town hall meeting. This is, I think it was 2010, maybe 29. I mean, you know, right in the midst things of, were bad. Yeah. yeah. And he started making this argument about the fact that the, the prices of things were going down and the economy was better. And he used the example of an iPad and the price going down. And the crowd really lashed into him. And, and the, the real quote from one person was, I can't eat an iPad. And he got a lot of grief for, you know, for being out of tune, for being tone deaf and all those things. Uh, but now it's seven years later and, and, and this is the trend you're talking about. Yeah. And, and to be fair, in all of these um, examples, there are, there are losers, right? If it, when, when energy prices collapsed yeah. – two and a half years ago, there were a lot of levered energy companies that had, right. a, had a really difficult time. If, you know, hypothetically, total absurd example, if medical costs tomorrow went to zero, there are business models that would be stressed by that, but it wouldn't be a bad thing for the U.S. economy. Right. right? The average U.S. household, median U.S. household would be a much better... Right, right. Stressed is probably a polite way to put it. Yeah. One, I'd like to get back to sort of the, the, where we are in the sort of Fed, maybe overshooting on... Uh, you know, keeping monetary policy easy. Are there concerns that we're getting the, the economy is getting closer to overheating on your part? I think we're well. Just, we're, we've been running above potential GDP for five years now, right? Sadly, two and a quarter GDP and annual average change for the last five years is fifty basis points or so above potential. The Financial markets are pretty pretty robustly priced. Certainly, developed market fixed income, which is not just the Fed's contribution, but other major central yeah. bank contributions. Developed market fixed income strikes us as having very very minimal margin of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think the the excess is in bond prices, which have been forced to very low yields by central bank interventionist policy. The U.S. has the opportunity to keep moving away here. The balance sheet unwind has started. It starts very, very gradually, but it will ultimately lead to approximately $400 billion of treasuries and mortgages coming off the balance sheet on an annual basis for the next three years. That's 
that's a legitimate movement in, in the right direction in our, in our judgment. And we think you're going to get modestly higher short-term interest rates over the course of time as well. We're not going back to the world where we had 4 to 5% interest rates, yeah. not anytime soon. I don't think the, the economy can, can withstand that. So we're not talking about being way behind the curve, but I think it's, I think it's naive to suggest that they, the central banking community hasn't contributed to um, robust financial asset prices. How much do you think the Fed is concerned about sort of financial conditions and asset prices at this point? The financial conditions discussion has picked up pace in the last few months, as you guys are aware. Um, and we think that's probably the right way to think about the, the overall um, um, condition – well, uh, the overall uh, cost of capital in the marketplace for households and corporations. And despite the Fed's rate increases December, March, June, and expected in December – Financial conditions in the U.S. economy have actually become more accommodative due to the decline in equity and credit risk premium, as well as a 10% decline in the trade-weighted dollar since, um, since December. So net financial conditions in the U.S. economy have remained highly accommodative despite the fact the Fed's been slowly moving away from its um, contribution to accommodative monetary policy. I mean, if the Fed continues to raise rates, I think they're forecasting four rate increases by the end of 2018. Is that going to change anything? I mean, we've seen, like you said, financial conditions continue to go lower. The dollar, you know, after the Fed minutes yesterday went lower. Is, are, is there a, a time when, you know, these these assets that um, have depreciated or appreciated, are, are we going to snap back at some point? Or is the path that they're forecasting just still too gradual to to lead to a correction? I think it's, it's pretty gradual with respect to the domestic U.S. economy. Um, I don't think a 2% funds rate in a year's time is going to be a meaningful headwind to growth in the U.S. And even, even with modestly higher 10-year um, or 30-year rates, I don't think it's sufficient to create um, a problem for the U.S. economy in the order of magnitude that we're talking about. What's, what's interesting is other central banks are now moving toward becoming less accommodative. They're not overtly hawkish, for sure, but the Bank of Canada has moved twice. Bank of England is now talking about removing some of the emergency accommodation. And the ECB, in our expectation, as, as with much of the, the uh, investment community, we, we expect the ECB to dial back the pace of large-scale asset purchases very soon. Um, starting in 2018. So the developed market central banks are becoming less accommodative. The Fed's not outpacing them by that much. So I don't think it's really a dollar appreciation policy deviation story. Bob Miller is BlackRock's head of the U.S. multi-sector fixed income team, and he runs a couple of the funds there. Bob, thanks for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Good to be with you guys. And you know what? You know what I just thought of, Grocer? We should do a PSA. Okay. We should do PSA. Uh, get your flu shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Have you gotten your flu shot yet, Stephen Grosser? Um, we haven't had them offered yet. Got to go out and get so your I'm flu shot. Bob I'm, Miller, BlackRock's Bob have. Miller. You have? have? I did too. Chelsea? I have not had mine yet. All right. Uh, Grosser and Chelsea have to go get your flu shots. <laughs> Quarantine else, us. <laughs> get your flu shots. Thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate your patronage, and we will talk to you soon.